to the Wizards Group Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Oliver, my co-host, Chase Carroll in the building. Chase, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Uh, probably could be better if we made a little better of a trade, but I, I'm sure we'll get into why uh, the trade wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy with the direction we're taking, but um, yeah, the details of the trade, not the best. So uh, I'm good. I'm good, but could be better. Yeah, we'll definitely get into all of that. Uh, joining us, uh, the first the first uh, guest on the group chat, uh, Believe in Wizards host, Matt Moderno. Matt, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? Yeah, of course, fellas. I feel like I'm in the actual Wizards group chat, so I'm happy to be on the, the Wizards group chat pod. So uh, thanks for having me. Should be fun. Yeah, man. You're part of the reason why we're we're what we are. You, oh. You're kind of part of our inspiration for our pod name. So thank you for joining us, Matt. I love it, boys. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Matt, big fan of you. Obviously, uh, you know, love your work and all that stuff. Also, Matt's work at Bullets Forever, too. I uh, don't want to forget to mention that. Guys, let's jump right in here to kind of our reactions to the Bradley Beal trade. To, we gotten more details um, over the past 24 hours, in, including like the players fully what that are going to be in the trade. So we have, uh, in addition to Bradley Beal, we have guard Jordan Goodwin's going to be in the trade in addition to um, forward and former first round, or I guess second round pick, technically, second round pick. Uh, Isaiah Todd. Um, and I guess the Wizards are going to get back in addition to Shamit and Chris Paul, multiple second round picks. The word on the street is it's possibly six second round picks. Um, that's the and, most they can give up. Okay. So that's what it's looking like in addition to a pick swap in 2024 and 2026. Uh, I will give the floor to you first, Matt. What was your initial reaction to the trade and how are you feeling about it after having some time to digest it? Uh, initial reaction is, whew, this is done. Okay. Uh, at least it's over with, let's move on from it. And then it's just, then it turned into, okay, well, I hope it's every pick swap from now until the end of time and every second round pick ever. And then it said, well, it's not either of those things. Okay. Maybe there's another player or a third team coming in here. Okay. It's none of those things. Well, at least we didn't have to give up anything else. And then it was Jordan Goodwin. And then it was, at least we didn't have to give up anything else. And it was Isaiah Todd. So um, I've sort of felt worse and worse about it as the week or as the day and a half has gone on at this point. See, it feels like a week. It's been so shitty. So uh, I'm just kind of out. I don't know. I I see a lot of like, well, they had no leverage because of the no trade clause. I don't really believe that personally. Uh, I just, I mean, maybe we could save that for a separate topic, but just from what I understand of the new CBA, they couldn't have made this trade after July 1st. And if you're the Wizards and you're not getting any first round picks in this draft back anyway, there's no rush for you to do it right now. All the impetus is on Phoenix to get that done. Uh, so if that's where Beal really wanted to go and they really wanted him, you did have some leverage to be like, nah, you owe us something back of value and we're not throwing in pieces because we're just desperate to make this happen. So uh, that that's a little disheartening to me personally. Chase? Yeah, I guess I'm on the other side of things there. Um, obviously, I'm not happy with what we get out of the deal here. It's not a good uh, return for Bradley Beal, a guy that clearly was not going to be here um, long term. I would have loved to get more. At the end of the day, I'm ready to just move on from him. Um, <laughs> any any longer that he's in the building. Uh, yeah, For me, this was a lose-lose situation for Michael Winger and Will Dawkins. Uh, they keep Bradley Beal and the fan base is upset that they're keeping him longer than they feel they need to. They make this deal and obviously uh, it's not 
a great return and and people are going to be upset about that as well uh really it was a no no win situation here and and i'm putting the blame more so on tommy shepherd and ted leonsis ted leonsis is going to get a lot of blame for this as well um it really started with both of them giving brad that no trade clause uh we can be brad, mad at brad all we want for how it ended and rightly so for a lot of it but at the end of the day ted leonsis you know, last season set a very low standard for Tommy Shepard to just make the playoffs. Um, and, and they wouldn't allow a tank to really happen. Uh, so Tommy's best path in his eyes is really to keep an established player like Brad. Um, Cause that, that really gets him to his little, you know, his, his small goal of just reaching the playoffs. Um, so I'm putting the blame on their shoulders. Mostly uh, happy. Ted is finally, you know, changing course, getting a new front office in here. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm putting most of the blame on the previous front office and I'm happy to just wipe away what we had with their, with Bradley, uh, Bradley Beal. Um, I, I'm sorry that this is what we're getting in return, but I'm ready to turn a page. Yeah. I think turning the pages is, is where I'm at now too. I, I've been a proponent of trading Beal for years now, I was kind of at the forefront of that in terms of Wizards Twitter. I thought we should have traded him as soon as Wall went down with that Achilles injury. And and I thought that the writing was on the wall that that version, uh, like with winning with either one of those guys, to me, just didn't seem like a realistic scenario. And I, I'm a very realist, realistic person. I, you know, I think you just have to look at things objectively and not view them from the skewed view of, of um oh you know Bradley Beal was the guy we draft and he's homegrown I think that they they really dropped the ball back then not looking at things objectively and especially not you know they should have at least moved him in 2021 if anything uh if not back back four years ago but uh to get into my my reaction to the trade I initially thought it was trash and I said as much but I think as time has gone on even though we've oh, we're apparently giving up more and more like young talent from the team you know with Goodwin and Isaiah Todd. I think the trade has grown on me in a sense of I think there's something to be said about turning the page at this point in the offseason to give uh, Michael Winger and and Dawkins a chance to really put their imprint on the team going into their first offseason. And I think from a fan perspective and from a management perspective, I think having Buell on the roster would loom over the offseason in a lot of ways and not allow them to fully commit to looking looking one way or looking another way. And I think there'd be pushback from the fans if, hey, well, a deal doesn't come to fruition because we're not getting back what we want at this moment. I feel like fans would get antsy about wanting to have a clear-cut direction uh, going into this offseason and during the offseason. So I think I've gotten to a point where I don't really personally care too much about Jordan Goodwin. I feel like he got a little bit, a little bit of overhype from his like a, a, a hot stretch he had at one point during the season. From when he was really good during the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just he's a nice eighth man, and those are valuable players. But I feel like to I know why you're upset, uh, Matt. But I think the point I feel like is I kind of feel like Beal probably did Goodwin a solid and said. I have the leverage here. Do you want to be a part of this deal? Because that's his guy, right? Don't they have like a long history of of um, kind of being connected in some format? I, I had this, I don't know, I just had this feeling that there was more behind the scenes with, with the Goodwin thing. And to me, that's another salary off the books. Isaiah Todd, I haven't seen one flash from Isaiah Todd. Like nothing that would make me think that he's a player 
that had any real upside. Now watch me say that he'll go to Phoenix and somehow be like a star or something. Right. But I hadn't seen a flash from him that made him feel like, uh, or made me feel like he was a player that I would care whether he was on the roster. And I honestly haven't thought about him once in like a year. Um, other than when, um, you know, I listen to like Matt's pod and Matt, I know Matt will talk about him here and there from what he's doing on the go-go, but it, it's disappointing to get such a, a bad return in terms of picks and young players. But I understand from a, from a, a kind of an asset management perspective in terms of being able to reset the roster and have a clear cut plan going forward. I understand why they, they pushed for, you know, maybe getting the deal done now. I think it's just interesting that there wasn't, you know, a DeAndre Ayton in the deal or anything like that. But from what, um, what uh, Arizona reporter was saying that the Suns wouldn't include Ayton. So it wasn't even that the, you know, it was just like not on the table. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't get Ayton in the deal, which is interesting. I thought they might want to actually get off that contract. But um, it's, it's really going to be interesting to kind of see where management goes from here. I want to get y'all's impression in terms of, what do you think this says about the front office and kind of their vision um, for the offseason going forward? Yeah, I think this means that they're going to be willing to take on bad contracts. They have all the cap space in the world, take on bad contracts in order to hopefully get some first round picks uh, because of taking those contracts. I could see us taking someone, for example, if we're if we're trading CP three immediately here to someone like the Clippers, I could see us taking a Marcus Morris off their hands. Um, you know, we, we have all the cap space in the world to work with and, and take bad contracts. And I'm completely fine with that. Uh, if that's the way that they're going to go, it seems like the OKC way that they, you know, they, they, a lot of them came up from that type of uh, leadership previously so I think that could be the way that they're going and I'm completely on board with that. Um, you know, I would have obviously loved to have the picks right now. It, it's, it's frustrating to, to say uh, what we could be getting because we don't have it yet. Uh, so um, I, I, I want to believe in Michael Winger and Will Dawkins vision, um, but obviously we don't see it yet. So um, for what we have seen so far, we're going to be disappointed getting rid of two young players in Jordan Goodwin, Isaiah Todd. I'm not as big on Isaiah Todd as, as our friend Matt is here, but um, you know, it's funny in this kind of deal, you'd think that we would be getting the so-called young prospects and we're the ones giving them away. So it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, dynamic there, but at the end of the day, I think they're getting off of a guy like Isaiah Todd in order to hopefully bring in their own young rookies, you know, second round picks, what have you uh, fill out the roster the way they want to. Uh, they didn't have much tape on Isaiah Todd, uh, unfortunately. And that's because of the previous front office or previous coaching staff, uh, not giving him a shot, which is definitely frustrating. Don't understand. We, we could definitely get into that uh, later on. Why, why he was never really given a shot here, but um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating seeing a guy like Jordan Goodwin build his way up here in this organization and just, you know, be thrown away. Um, I think he's going to be a great contributor there in Phoenix. They're going to love what they get out of him. I personally, and it definitely hurts more here considering how difficult it has been the last few seasons to get a true point guard in here. I was an advocate of him last season, actually being the starting point guard over Monte Morris and having DeLon Wright be the point guard off the bench. I'm, I'm not a Monte Morris fan. And I think a lot of wizards fans will agree with me there. 
Um, and, and I think he was probably our best option for a big portion of that of uh, last season. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to be too upset getting rid of him. I mean, he was a great contract that we had a few years on. So that's definitely a, a, a little bit frustrating. But at the end of the day, I think they have a vision of, of what kind of point guard they want to bring in here, hopefully in the draft upcoming. And that made him expendable. So I'm hoping that they have a vision that that we just don't see yet. I certainly don't see it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Maybe it's not fair. I just, uh, I'm trying really hard to like, like the move. I'm glad Brad's gone personally. I just happy that, that that's over with it. Just again, maybe it's not fair, but they're they're not the wheeler dealers that I thought they were going to be. And they were going to come in here and like win this trade right away. I don't know how you could look at what they got back and be like, yeah, they won this trade. Um, they, they, they said, you know, their sort of base objective to get rid of Brad and they did that, but it just feels like they went really overboard to me to have to do that. Uh, I don't think anybody thought, uh, that this was a situation where not only would we not get anything back, we would have to attach stuff. And the point is whether it's Todd or not, and you don't like Todd personally, I think it's kind of irrelevant. It's, it is a guy that you have 70 games of G league tape on. So um, maybe they saw something they didn't like there, but you also had the opportunity to be really bad this year, play him, hype up some value. Maybe some team thinks he's a reclamation project and, and you can throw him in another deal or you get a second back for him or Goodwin's a contributor on a cheap contract. Maybe you get something back for him. I got to imagine he would have had some value. And I don't know if it's Beal doing him a solid because they're from St. Louis when, when we've talked to Goodwin before. Beal wasn't even one of the names he mentioned of people that were like mentoring him on the team. So I don't know how close a deal that, you know, that, that actually is for them. It's here's a guy that can come in perfectly and all he has to do is advance the ball and play defense cheaply for the Suns, And they need a bunch of those guys. So you really just help them fill out their roster around their new big three. So like we did them another solid and again, whatever you think of Goodwin as a player, he's not a needle mover. It doesn't matter. He He's still, one of your very few potential assets on a team where you had a basically bare cupboard and you stripped the cupboard even more bare to try to get Brad out. And it's just like, that just feels like an ultimate loss is like, you know, we expected these guys to come in. Well, well, maybe we'll settle for one pick or two picks or Jovic and a pick. So to walk away with none of that and you had to give up stuff just to get him out the door, um, because you you operated like you had no leverage when when maybe you had a little more than you played it played your hand I, I just I don't know I, I don't think there's any way to look at this in my opinion and be like yeah we killed this thing um, so it, it's not the worst it gets the job done none of them are deal backbreaking moves at the end of the day it's just um, it's just a little disappointing uh, that, that's the only where I'm at at this point I think it's interesting because the national perspective has been the Wizards got a good deal. Um, or or at least a solid deal. I saw has it though, other than Kevin Pelton, that's the only person I've seen that. I mean, like yeah. the Bill Simmons pod, they said they should be embarrassed. So right. uh so I, mean, I guess uh I guess what I mean, I should frame it like this. Like Woj was on uh get up this morning on ESPN and he framed it as that this was the only deal, this was the best deal in the marketplace, was his exact wording. Right now. now what'd you say? Right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess the way I look at it is, and I think Woj is very plugged in with like Leonsis too. So, you know, you're getting it from the, his source might be from the Wizards. So you're getting that kind of that perspective. Um, But I thought it was interesting that that's been some of the reporting that that was the best offer on the table. And and that's interesting because the offer isn't that good. 
Um, I think it's in terms of the young players coming out, I, I totally, I totally get what you guys are saying. I wanted to ask you in terms of a, a roster spot, asset management standpoint, do you feel like Winger and Dawkins were looking at it more from a perspective of kind of clearing out things that were from the Tommy Shepard era and allowing them more roster spots to potentially take back? Um, like, for example, if you're rerouting Chris Paul to the Clippers, let's say, hypothetically, and you're taking back like Covington and Morris or whatever, do you are do you feel like they're looking for room to bring in more players with that pick attached to it? it is it beneficial to have guys like Goodwin and Todd off the roster just to clear the necessary roster spot to be a dumping ground for these teams who want to get rid of bad contracts? Um, what do you guys think about that? Does that make any sense? Some logic tells me that might be part of their thinking, but what do you guys think? You could just cut Todd if you needed to open a roster spot. Like he doesn't make that much money. He only had a year left beyond this upcoming season. And that last year, I think is partially guaranteed. I don't have it in front of me. I just don't think that would have been that big of a hit. Yeah, I, I would agree with Matt there. Uh, I guess they save a million or so. So not not a big saving there. It is a saving. They do get off a roster spot. Um, I don't think that's the case with Jordan Goodwin, because I think, like I mentioned before, we've been so bare there at the point guard position that that's a guy you definitely could have kept around as a second, third point guard uh, on this roster. I would have loved to keep him, but I, 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 I could see that with, I think that was my take there with the Isaiah Todd being added to that deal. I think they just didn't feel like they had a use for him. And uh, that could come back to bite him. We'll see. We'll see if Phoenix is able to make something of Isaiah Todd. But I think they just didn't really feel like they had a use for him. It wasn't their draft pick. It was Tommy's. Um, and for whatever reason, it seemed he got benched in the G League at the end of the season. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if that has any anything to do with Isaiah Todd's play or or his demeanor or or what happened there. But I guess they felt like he was expendable and, and that they just didn't need his roster spot. And I could see that. I could see that from their perspective. But uh, I also see what Matt's talking about, how you might as well have just kept him on board, another young player. And if it, if you did end up trading for assets, you could have easily just cut him. I do see that from Matt, but um, from a ro roster flexibility aspect, I definitely get what Winger might be doing here in, in that case. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the the roster flexibility has something to do with it, but it also could ju could just be trying to clean out a little bit of Tommy Shepard's mess a little bit, and and Todd does seem like a miss in terms of uh, the asset management of the pick that they had originally twenty two. They traded back got Aaron Holiday, which was a complete you know kind of waste of time in terms of player acquisition, and then picking Todd at thirty one. Matt, you you were saying that they were going to take Todd at twenty two. Is that correct? That's what I've heard, man, that they love Todd. He had a great workout here and that that was somebody on their radar. So if, if that's somebody that you were conceivably going to take yeah. that early and you got a first round reclamation project in Aaron Holiday to do it, I, I don't think that the logic's that bad to move back seven spots. I think most people would say 20 to 35 is the same kind of caliber yeah. player in most of these drafts anyway. Um, those next couple spots, the guys everybody loves uh, that that went immediately after him. I would just kind of ask, like, what what really impactful did those guys do this season? Bones Highland was out of a rotation halfway through the year. I mean, it's just all the names that that were really hyped. It's not like they were 
um, particularly noteworthy. So I, I think we crushed Shepard and those guys for taking second round picks like Admiral Schofield. Oh, he had no upside. Okay. All right. Well, we took Cassius Winston. Wow. He was out of shape and unathletic. He had no upside. Oh, okay, great. So he took Todd. He's six, six foot nine. He was a good shooter. The guy can windmill from the free throw line. Um, well, he was too raw. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of hindsight from us as a fan base. So I, it didn't work out. Holiday is probably the worst eval to me of the two. Um, I, I don't mind the Todd thing. Like, I know I've hyped the Todd thing up. I don't give a shit personally whether he works out or not. I know that sounds like cold or callous, but like, I don't care. It was a second round pick uh, that had some value. He was top 10 in his high school class and decided to go the G League night route and had a meh year as the fourth guy for them. So to me, that's the kind of dude you should be taking a swing on with a second round pick. And if you can get something back to do it, I'll always like that. If he doesn't work out, I don't care, but you should also give him a fair shake to see what he can do in those moments. And this was finally the opportunity to see him in a context where you could run him out on an NBA court and not yank him the first time he does something stupid. I mean, we didn't yank our supermax player for dribbling off his foot, but we would pull Todd uh, <laughs> immediately for doing it. So I just think it's like a horrible, horrible botch from them kind of across the board. If he never plays another NBA minute, like I lose no sleep over that personally. It's just uh, you did invest in the guy. At some point, there was some talent there that everybody saw that that he ended up on that Ignite team in the first place. And he ended up top 10 in a high school class that was loaded for a reason. You should have just given him fair shake to just keep throwing in stuff is, is where I kind of get stuck. That's all. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And to your point, uh, our fan base complains about taking safe picks and to your point Todd Todd has the tools to be an interesting player um and I think that given more rope maybe we would have seen more flashes so I think that's a great point um I want to shift the conversation towards what are your guys's impressions of of Beal and how this trade looks from his standpoint what does it maybe say about him um that he kind of forced his way to the Suns and how will you guys maybe remember Beal as uh, fans of the team. I won't remember him in the greatest light. I'll admit it. Uh, I don't think I've ever been the biggest Bradley Beal fan. I'm not the biggest hater. We got, we got plenty of those in the fan base for me. Um, but at the end of the day, he forced his way out and we got very little in return. And that's what he's going to be remembered by. I think by a lot of us, including myself uh, in his exit press conference, he used the quote, uh, on his no trade clause, I don't use it as a trump card. That's beneath me. Well, it didn't seem too beneath you this week, Brad. I'll, I'll admit it. it. Seemed like he uh, used it to every possible percentage he could. And uh, if he really, I, from reports, sounds like he didn't allow DeAndre Ayton in the deal. If if that's true, um, so he's using every bit of that no trade clause to his advantage. Uh, and I'll I'll remember him for that. I remember tweeting a little while ago that, um, you know, I think we we as a fan base should appreciate Brad if he goes out and doesn't use his no trade clause as, you know, to his advantage. But that's exactly what he did. So at the end of the day, I think uh, that's what a lot of the fans will remember, how he exited um, more so than, you know, how he played here. And and I think people will remember how he played here as well, actually. he He never was able to get the job done as the number one. He was a great number two next to John Wall, but even then he was never able to elevate to that next level. So 
Um, great player, not a superstar, but he got a superstar contract, and that's what he'll be remembered for, taking a big amount of money, which wasn't enough for him, and he needed that no-trade clause in order to sign the contract. Uh, that's when Tommy Shepard should have said, get the hell out of here. But at the end of the day, that's where that's where Tommy and Ted get, get most of the blame. I'm not going to put the blame on Brad for taking the no-trade clause. I mean, who the hell wouldn't? I would if that was offered to me. I don't know if that was part of the negotiation for Brad, if he needed that in order to sign it, or if uh, Tommy came out and said, I'm going to give this to you. Will will you sign it if I give it to you? I don't know how that went. I've heard it's the latter just anecdotally, by the way. I I believe that. I believe, (laughs) I believe Tommy, you know, at the beginning of the negotiations gave him everything and said, here, sign it. I'm I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. So I'm not going to be mad at Brad for that. Everybody and their mother would have taken that, but at the end of the day, he'll be remembered for it. That's how I'm going to remember him uh, in D.C. I'm with you, Chase. I think I'll just be sort of mostly indifferent. I mean, just if you look at where he should be in the pecking order of players in this franchise, I mean, he's on paper the most productive wizard, like person to wear a wizard's jersey. And it, it's just crazy how much differently we think about him versus Wall and Arenas. Uh, Arenas brought a gun into a locker room, offended, like a, a basically ended a reasonable playoff era team and signed a big deal on a bum knee, which he admits that he didn't even actually try to rehab that seriously. And I got like weepy when they brought the dude out at halftime this year. They didn't even let him talk because they were so worried he'd say some crazy shit. And like that still got me super hyped that he was there. I don't see myself doing that with Beal in 10 years. Like, I, I think when they do the tribute video next year, I won't cheer, but I won't boo. I'll probably scroll through my phone and check Twitter or something and just, you know, hope hope the moment passes quickly. I, I think that's just sort of where I'm at. Good luck to him. I, I don't I have no fond feelings, but uh, I'm not going to hate him either. Like you said, Chase, I would have done the same shit if I were him. I agree, uh, Matt. You touched on right exactly how I would feel. I'm very indifferent about Beal's tenure with the Wizards, which is kind of sad because I feel like when he was drafted, I was really excited to have him, and I was excited early in his in his tenure. But I feel the past four years have just really soured his perception with the fan base, and you know it's not all on him. I think him not rising to maybe the level of player that we all thought maybe he was capable of being, um, at least initially after um, we moved on from John Wall as a franchise. I thought that there was a better version of him. I never thought he was a superstar, but I thought there was a better version of him um, that it just never seemed like he got to that level. And so I think there's a level of indifference and there's definitely no, uh, no, no sadness on my part to see him go. Um, but I definitely wouldn't boo him. I think uh, scrolling Twitter during his 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 tribute video would be fitting. I think that that is kind of around where I am. I think that maybe a light light clap was the most he'd get out of me. I I, I wish him well. I hope he you know I hope he succeeds. But I I don't feel any fond memories or warm and fuzzy moments or anything. It's nothing like. The, the way you feel about wall, you know, wall coming back was such a big deal. Just, just to give him his tribute and, you know, you know, you wished him well, but it's amazing how, how things have evolved when they were our two young pillars to be excited about at one point And you get to, you know, one guy's basically out the league and the other is now on a super team, I guess. And we're pretty indifferent about him, but um, so, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just thinking about like, 
he's been here so long, but is there a truly a, a signature moment for Bradley Beal that you can think back on and think, yeah, he, you know, he was a superstar here. Like fond memories. Remember that one time? Like I don't have that. I he think he's dribbling had... off his foot, to be honest. Matt made that, that point <laughs> earlier. Like that, or him that, shrugging that. for that gif in the tunnel. Like that's probably the, uh, <laughs> just the thing we'll remember most. I'll just remember him pouting on the bench when things aren't going well. I'll remember him giving up on defense when the when things look bad. I'll remember him giving up. That's unfortunately what I remember of Bradley Beal from the past few seasons. And obviously, he's a 30-point scorer here in D.C., but a lot of that came in, lo- in losing situations. So, And that's not all on him, obviously. He was playing next to Isak Banga for a lot of that. He, his point guard this season was Monte Morris. Like it's not all on Bradley Beal, but at the end of the day, there's nothing to remember him for in a positive light, really that, you know, that exceeds what, what, you know, he should have done here as that number one guy, unfortunately. So that's what he'll be remembered for is, is the bad things. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say on that? No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's just, uh, I guess I got a question for you guys. Like the thing I was thinking about the other day, is just like, those are probably the two best wizards draft picks, right? Like those two guys, is this probably the worst version of like how their careers with the wizards could have played out? Like we got like one and a half playoff run or two, let's be fair, two, two reasonable playoff runs in the last like 12 years out of those two guys. And it's just sort of like, eh, you know, a number one pick, a number three pick, by all accounts, they were probably the top two guys in their drafts. And that that's like kind of all we did with it. It just seems like um that that's kind of worst case scenario. Yeah, I've been reflecting on on kind of where things have gone with 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 both of them in their careers. Like it's you know, John Wall is basically out the league and and Beal hasn't had that much success um since Wall got injured, you know, essentially. And Looking back at those old teams, I remember after John Wall, I guess the 2017 year where he made 13 all, all NBA. I remember someone said, I think that I think this is going to be Wall's peak. And I was adamant, like, no way. He's like 27. Like, there's we have at least two or three more high level all NBA years. And I reflect back and that person was absolutely right. And I wish I could rem- remember who said that to me so I could give them credit. But I was really adamant that, no, he has at least two or three high-level years. I would be shocked if this was his his peak. And it absolutely was the high point of Wall's career. And uh, I think Beal got much better as an individual player from that point. But the heights in terms of success on the team he's on hasn't hasn't ascended past that point. And it's really, it's really just a disappointing, uh, you know, I feel like, me of six years ago was so excited about the team and the direction with those two guys and to kind of be where we're at now and to see what's happened to Wall's career and for Beal to to kind of be at this point where the fans are really rejoicing. I I, I think I saw maybe one person that was sad to see him go. And that, I mean, that's literally like 99% of the fan base was ready to just to drive him to the airport. And that's just a really sad, kind of a sad way to go out. Well, well, Matt alluded to this a little bit, how John Wall's ending here was obviously very poor. But at the end of the day, if if you're going to send him out like Bradley Beal had a part of, you know, he had a part in, in John Wall exiting. If you're going to send a beloved guy like John Wall out, 
you better be able to produce as the number one. You better be able to be that guy. And he never was. So if you're going to send out a beloved superstar like John Wall out of the building who wanted to be a wizard, he never wanted to go. That's the sad part of his ending here was he wanted to be a wizard for life. And Bradley Beal, who took over the number one, got the Supermax contract, took the no trade clause. I think a lot of us knew from the moment he signed that contract, he's not going to end his career here. And I don't think any of us ever thought he was. I, I don't know. Maybe some people in the fan base thought he was a lifer. I personally thought once he signed that contract, we're screwed. And I know Matt actually wrote an article on on something of that sort that once he signed that contract, the Wizards screwed themselves. And it's sad, it's a sad way to go out for Bradley Beal. But uh, he played a part in John Wall leaving. And if you're going to be a reason why the number one guy here leaves, you better be able to fill in his shoes. And he never was able to do that. And there's no chance that Beal comes back and he gets on the scores table and says, this is my effing city. And people respond positively to it a couple of years from now. Like Wall had the ability to still do that because like you said, Chase, he he's not the one that said, I want out of here. Um, there got There was a different villain. And because Tommy's not still here and nobody really holds the owner that account, uh, accountable here, like Brad will be the villain in his situation. And whether that's fair or not, it's sort of, that's his choice. You know, he like, he, he had to know that that was coming and we'll see how it plays out for him. So just playing off of that real quick and I'll stop interrupting on your guys show, but I just, I, this kind of popped in my head as we were talking through it. Like I just said, like, I'll be indifferent about Beal during his sort of, tribute did here or whatever but i'll be pretty pissed if he wins a title with this team in the next two years I, like i don't think i'll be able to help myself if uh yeah we're just 23 points a game on on the way to an nba championship am, am i crazy am, am, are you guys in a similar boat how how would you take that i guess so i'll be upset if he's showing effort on defense if he's <laughs> not pouting on the bench when things aren't going well if he's doing everything that he did in Washington and it works out for them, you know, all by all means, wonderful. But if he s- switches up who he was here, I'll be very frustrated. He he gave up on us all the time. He, he went to the media, said he wants to be an all NBA defender when we all knew damn well, you have no business saying something like that, especially when you're not even going to give the effort towards that. So why are you saying that? So that. Yeah, I'd be frustrated if he shows up to Phoenix uh, with a brand new attitude, a smile on his face, uh, absolutely refreshed and and is a whole new Bradley Beal. I would be very upset. Um, I won't be too upset if I guess if they win the championship, if uh, if he's the third guy and, and he's an afterthought. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I hope I don't I honestly don't think we're going to see that. I don't think that's going to be a problem for us. Um, I think it's going to blow up in their faces. So um, I guess we'll we'll just have to wait and see on that end. I don't love the move uh, for Phoenix in terms of a roster building standpoint. They really pigeonhole themselves into having three stars and having to really build around the margins with like minimums. And it's going to be harder with the second apron and, and all that stuff with the new CBA. But in terms of am I going to be upset in terms of if Bill wins a title, I think what's going to be more upsetting is – kind of to Chase's point is I'm fully expecting to see a really engaged Beal on like the intangible parts of the game, not scoring, because if you look at it, he's going to be third in the pecking order in terms of scoring. You have KD who's perhaps, you know, one of the, or he is one of the best scorers of all time, but he might be, might even be the best arguably in book. I mean, book can score his ass off obviously. So Beal's going to have to be 
the third option on offense. So what is he going to have to do? He's going to have to do some of the more intangible things. I mean, we saw with, you know, uh, when Kevin Love was in Cleveland with Kyrie and LeBron, he had to kind of change his role. And that third guy always seems to have to change their role because you're going to need someone to do some of the intangible stuff in terms of playing defense and things of that nature. And Kevin Durant can do that. Um, he'll probably guard some of the bigger forwards, but in terms of guarding guards, they literally don't have anybody else on the roster that's going to be able to do that. Book is actually a pretty good defender when he wants to be, but um, I, I just fully expect to see Bradley Beal be fully engaged all the time because now I think he's going to be extra motivated because he is playing with Kevin Durant. He is playing with Booker. I mean, and in a sense, you can't really bl- can't blame him in the sense of being more motivated when you're actually playing with guys who give you a chance to 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 win. But you can blame him in the sense because he claimed you wanted to be the leader and he didn't show the effort requisite of a leader. So I think, uh, you know, I, would it make me mad? Not necessarily, but I, if, he, if they won a championship, but the, the, the little things that I know he's really going to do now, I think those are the things that kind of stick in my head. I think they're going to win a ring, guys. That's my hot take. Yeah, I think so. Man. I just personally, I don't see it. I, with the health of Bradley Beal the last few seasons, he hasn't played what over 60 games in the last three years. Kevin Durant, we know his injury history. Uh, I believe Booker missed a lot of time last season as well. If one of them goes down, two or presumably two of them could go down at one time. I think they're in a lot of trouble, depending on what they do, obviously, with the rest of their offseason. They don't have much money to work with. We'll see what they do with Aiton, but I personally don't think that's a championship roster. I think KD's had uh, more to work with in in Brooklyn, more to work with in OKC, and he wasn't able to get it done with those squads. So he's only a year older now. He's not able to get to the rim the way he could before. He doesn't really like to attack the rim anymore. So uh, obviously with Bradley Beal and Devin Booker in, in the picture, that gives him more rim attacking threats, but it will depend on what kind of role players they're able to get around them. Right now we do know they have Goodwin. Uh, Jock Landell's pretty good. Um, I think they have Tory Craig coming back. So they got what three, three decent pieces, I guess, to work with alongside them. But other than that, we might be getting 2K creative players next to them. So <laughs> I, got I don't almost, know. They got almost no help next to Katie and Booker in this playoffs essentially. And they were the team I thought was most competitive with Denver. So you basically just swapped out Landry Shamit for Bradley Beal and whatever we think about Beal, uh, he's still pretty good. You were essentially playing Booker as your point guard in the playoffs. You were essentially using KD as your best scorer and best defender along with Booker. So now they have less offensive responsibility in terms of scoring. They can do some of the other stuff that they're actually well-equipped to do. I don't think the, like we, we obviously didn't want point Beal here forever, but I think he's a kind of a, a little underrated as a playmaker. I mean, he he had to do more here than we needed him to do, but uh, it's not like the guy can't make like a very easy read and they're going to have open dudes. So I, I just think that that's, that's pretty tough. And, and they got pretty far with just two of the three being healthy for their guys last year for most of the year, like on and off. So it just lightens the load for the rest of them during the regular season. If you have two of those three guys out there, you're going to win a lot of regular season games anyway, I think. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I wouldn't want to play them personally, but I've been very wrong plenty of times before, and this could certainly be another one of those times. If they hit on 
two they need two wings to me like they could be like robert covington level wings but they need they just need guys that can guard on the perimeter and i don't think you can rely so much on kevin durant to be that as he continues to age the i think those that would be like the, the main thing i would look to identify if i was them like guys that can that can play so they can play small like Covington could play small ball five and they could you know guys that could play a little bit bigger too so Covington could play theoretically could play some four and some three you know next to Durant you just need that type of archetype of player so I, I it'll be interesting they're they're gonna get players that are just trying to win a ring to come to come play with them so I don't I don't think they'll have a problem f- fielding like at least a nine like a nine man rotation that's at least pretty good outside of the top three but I just think if they don't win in the next two years it's going to be really hard after that to kind of keep that core together which they're not really gonna have a choice but it's gonna they have no other picks so they can't make any other small small deal unless they're just aggregating some type of salaries or breaking down eight and into multiple multiple pieces um but I guess enough Suns talk because I guess we don't really care about the Suns on this podcast. <laughs> We're a Wizards podcast, but it is interesting to see what will happen with them going forward. I want to reflect on Tommy Shepard's tenure here. Obviously, he was relieved of his duties um, earlier in the offseason, and now we're in the Dawkins and Travis Schlink, and obviously Winger's the president. Um, what do you guys think? What is or What comes to mind when you guys think of the Tommy Shepard era in terms of just just everything from the 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 trades uh we have like everything from the Bertans trade the original Bertans trade which was a win to signing Bertans that terrible contract we have the Porzingis trade the signing of Dinwiddie and how in that fiasco for three months um there was definitely some wins in terms of trades but there was also some bad draft picks uh the the draft record includes Rihachimura, Denny Abdia, Corey Kispert um and Johnny Davis obviously uh, what do you guys think? What comes to mind? What comes to mind for me is he was able to set themselves up with a good move, but he was unable to maximize the return on it. For example, you did just bring up Bertans. Uh, they had, I believe, multiple offers of first round picks for Bertans at the deadline. And uh, Tommy, unfortunately, chose incorrectly and, and decided to give him that long term contract to keep him here. And we saw how that turned out. But at the uh, you know, he was able to then trade Bertans and Dinwiddie for Porzingis. So I was like, okay, great. He made another great deal, but he was unable to maximize it from there. And that's because of his draft record. Oh, you know, and three in the lottery in my eyes. I loved Rui Hachimura, but if you're going to be trading him at the deadline for Kendrick Nunn and I believe two second round picks, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a loss. Uh, Danny Avdia, good role player, decent player. Doesn't look like he's going to be a star or even, I guess, a great player at, at the nine overall spot. That's what you need at the nine overall spot. I think his best selection was outside of the lottery and Corey Kispert, and that's a role player. So if you're not going to hit on any of your draft picks in the lottery, you at least got to hit something in the second round. And he missed every single second round pick as well in my eyes. He didn't get a single role player that you can establish here long term in D.C. He picked uh, this past year a draft stash when he probably – could have used a solid role player in that second round. So at the end of the day, his draft record pulled down his solid trades that he made and, and his contracts that he gave out to Dinwiddie and Bertans held them back as well. So uh, I think a lot of us liked that Dinwiddie contract at, at first and he was able to get off of it. But at the end of the day, 
he was never able to put it all together for a solid squad. So um, overall, I, I give him a, a poor grade. I get like trash for being like the super negative Wizards fan. But if you look at how I start out with any of these guys, I, I'm like always actually one of the more optimistic people. Like I hyped Tommy so effing much to start out here. And like we came out of the gate strong. You turn Aaron White and a second round pick into Bertons and he's shooting from 40 feet. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a genius move. Uh, you you turn Troy Brown, who was probably a pick he had something to do with, to be honest, in the first place, because Ernie wasn't scouting that much at that point anyway. And he turns him into Gafford. And it's like, this is a steal. Uh, you know, Gafford played that like 20 game stretch when he got traded and looked like unreal. He changed the defense. And I'm like, holy shit. Like Tommy is a genius, man. I, I still think whether his hand got forced with Westbrook or not, like, you know, he foisted him, foisted him on the Lakers essentially. Right. Like, I mean, it, that was a great move in my opinion. Now, to Chase's point, it's it's the follow-up move, right? Like his whole thing was like turn one move into a slightly better move, and each move will incrementally improve our position as a team. And he could never really do any of those well enough to make like a big jump when really his best move, if he'd have been allowed to and and Ted had been on board, might have been to just like we talked about this the other day, right? Like just ride out the shitty wall contract and just, you know, kind of start over with a clean slate there. So I don't know. Like I just get burned enough by these guys that I, I like every year, like the benefit of the doubt I give them is shorter and shorter. Like I'll start out super optimistic. I tried with Tommy by the end of it. It's like, I, I really want to do the off season pod at some point. I've just all his moves on one side of the sheet and all of Ernie's moves on the other side of the sheet. And like, let's grade him out who was actually better. And granted Ernie had a three times longer track record. So it's probably more complicated than that. But I I don't really think there's much of a difference between the two and, and Ernie got run out of town here essentially. So I think that's kind of where you got to leave it with Tommy too. Like, there you go. I think we see with, with Ernie, he knew he couldn't draft, so he would trade the draft picks away. Right. And we knew it, how that ended. And Tommy thought he could draft and he couldn't. So he, he missed on those picks. So it's just one hand or the other. Did you prefer, uh, trading away a valuable pick for a you know Markeith Morris for example who is a good player but not you know a draft pick that you could build upon or did you like Denny Avia Denny Avia pick 9 uh, you know uh, it's it's one hand or the other yeah the first word that comes to my mind or first phrase I should say is the asset mismanagement I, I feel like you know he'd make a good trade you know like Matt mentioned with the Aaron White in a second for Bertans but then they, they never made the next move that made sense. You know, Bertans was playing so well that first season, and it was obvious to me, trade him now. Like, this is how you how you get better. This is how you get value. Bertans was playing out of his mind at one point in terms of his shooting. And I understood the, the idea of keeping him. But, I mean, look at what Bertans has done since that one year before his contract year. He's literally been unplayable since that since the moment he signed that contract and you know as fans there's a bunch of, of the fa the fan base saying trade him now trade him now and it, and it seems just like they always are reacting and never proactive and that was to me what Ernie Grunfeld did and that's the same thing that Tommy Shepard did and it and maybe it's just a top-down thing it's Ted Leonsis on down but it just it's the 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 
reactive nature of the front office and the mismanagement of assets is just so frustrating. And that's what I think of when I think of Tommy Shepard. It's just, and it's the switching of the plan. It's signing Dinwiddie and then trading him three months later and bringing in Porzingis, which was actually a good trade in itself. But it's just, it just showed that there's no direction with the team. There's no plan. There's no, is the team going to play fast? Is the team going to play slow? Who are we playing through? Are we playing through Beal? Are we playing through Porzingis? Are we playing through Kuzma? It seemed like night to night. Some nights it was Kuzma. Some nights it was KP. Some nights it was Brad. There just never seemed to be cohesion from whatever Tommy Shepard saw to what's unsettled. I remember when Johnny Davis got drafted, and I was not as um, educated on that draft as, as I had been in previous years. I just had my son. I was a knee deep and like not sleeping. So I was just, you know, following the mock drafts and, you know, people like Matt on Twitter who analyzed the draft. Um, and I know some of the fan base didn't want Davis. Some were cool with it. I, I thought his film looked fine. Right. I didn't really know. But I remember that night Woj tweeted the Wizards get their point guard of the future in Johnny Davis. And then Johnny Davis acted like he didn't even play point guard. And I was so confused as someone who wasn't as educated on Johnny Davis. Wait, so Woj is tweeting the point guard of the future, and he's clearly getting that from a wizard source, right? That's not something. Tommy Woj said that in the draft room. It was his first sentence in okay. the media availability <laughs> immediately when walking out. He immediately said, we got our point guard of the future. That came directly from Tommy to Woj, wow. word for word. Okay, so there you Should go. Should have been fired right then. So there you go. <laughs> To me, that that blew my mind when when Johnny Davis was like, I don't I don't really play point guard. Like that was a, basically the vibes you got was like West I, said the same thing. Uh, yeah, we'll have, just, we'll have to see if he can do that or not. Yeah, and then when you watch him play this year, I mean, I'm not going to bash Johnny Davis. He he shows some signs of growth towards the end of the season, but it, there's no point guard in there. Like the, he did not look like a point guard in any capacity, and that blew my mind that that was what Tommy Shepard envisioned in some capacity when he brought him in um, as the pick. And it's, it's just stuff like that where it's just – it blows your mind that, okay, so you're viewing him as a point guard, but the head coach doesn't see him as a point guard. So were you guys even on the same accord at all in terms of the pick? Uh, it's just things of that nature that really just just kind of blow your mind. And and I think the Rui and Denny picks were okay. I don't think that they're horrible picks. I don't think they're horrible misses. I was on record saying I wanted them to take Pittsburgh. And I honestly think that's probably the best pick of the bunch in terms of where the pick was in the production. If you get a – a good role player at 15, I think that that is a perfectly fine pick. But it, again, it's not giving Rui an extension and then trading him for the, the second round picks and Kendrick Nunn. And then what's going to happen with Denny? Denny hasn't gotten a ton better since he's been here. He's gotten a little bit better. But uh, it, it's just a mismanagement of assets. It's just a continuation of the Ernie Grunfeld era. And uh, to the point that Matt brought up, and I, I know I mentioned on your pod, Matt, in terms of what their direction should have been uh, when Wall went down with his Achilles and in the gang signs video that turned that proved to be a pivotal point in the organization, uh, in the direction of the organization. Wall and you know doing that and the way it probably made Ted feel reported, you know, reporting on that had been that Ted was like, "Hey, I'm done. I'm washing my hands of this." I think Brad said as much too on I think Draymond Green's podcast that Ted was like, "Hey, like we're done with this." Um, we're done with him and we, you know, we're going to move forward with you. But that decision proved to be detrimental. I really think they should have done it the opposite way. They should have put wall on ice and said, okay, hey, rehab and do your thing. We're going to put you in the back burner. Beal, we're going to trade you and we're going to let your max just kind of play out. And when you come back, we'll let you 
you know, be a part of, you know, you can be the point guard for our rebuilding guys on the team and then we'll trade you if we can. And if not, you'll just expire. But think about where we would be if we had traded Beal three or four years ago and how we would have had a bunch of first round, you know, top five picks, top seven picks by now. And you would have had at least a chance at having some of these, you know, elite guys that have been picked over the past few years. But instead we got, you know, Kendrick Dunn, second round picks. We got Denny. And you would have been shit in the Weminyama year. So like we could have had Victor <laughs> presumably. So just like we, the Wizards finally decide to blow it up the year after the best pick in the last 20 years. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really disheartening. And that, I think I think that, that that's a that's a phenomenal point that you're, you're making that it's of course, we would take the year after the, the best prospect you know, in, a, in a long time is available. <laughs> And just I think, in time uh, for what people say is 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 a bad draft coming up next year. So, uh, you know, that, of course, that's how things go for the Wizards. Um, guys, the draft is coming up soon uh, this week. What are your expectations? Uh, if you guys have any players that you guys, you know, want to talk about, we can. But I'm talking about more from like an asset management point. We have Kristaps Porzingis, who, who I think has to opt in or opt out this week right before the draft. I think the deadline for Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so and Kuzma is probably going to opt out, uh, you know, per reports. But what do you guys think we can expect this week in terms of maybe, you know, are we going to see a lot of moves? Are they going to take back bad contracts? Do you expect to see anything like that uh, this week? I hope so. <laughs> I hope we get at least one or two more picks in that first round. I think KP should be able to at least net you one. Uh, a team like Brooklyn, for example, has a couple first round picks in the late first round um and they for whatever reason seem like they want to continue to go all in so maybe they're a destination for chris stops uh we've mentioned portland on this pod a little bit they're a team that could possibly be in play for chris stops because for whatever reason damian lillard still wants to continue to be in portland by by all reports so i think chris stops would be a good fit next to damian lillard will will he take them to where they want to go no but Maybe he's enough to fool Damian Lillard into thinking they can. So I'm I'm all in on trying to get as many late first round picks, as many swings as we can. Uh, if we're going to be getting off of a guy like Isaiah Todd, we might as well bring in as many young guys in the building as we can have. We need as many second. I, I want as many second round picks as we can get to. We already have two. Uh, maybe we could get a third. We need to fill out the G League team as well. Um, so. Get me as many young players as we can get. I'm fine taking on the bad contracts if that's what it takes. Um, let's do it. I think people have talked about like this not being a particularly deep draft because a lot of guys pulled out and are going to go back to college because NIL and things like that. But but I also think it's just there's a lot of like question mark guys, even in the last like 20 picks where you might be able to get someone undrafted that's as good as somebody that goes 41 or something. So I I'm with you, Chase. I, I hope that they take some of these seconds and can use them as a way to move up even a few pick, like a few slots. If you can turn, I don't know, 41 or whatever it is, 41, 42, I keep forgetting which one it is, and and turn that into 31. Okay. Uh, now that that's interesting to me. Uh, you could get like a real interesting player. I, I think it's sort of that range of the draft still. If you could turn 31 and another two second round picks into 21, like, okay, now, now we're really talking. So I would want as many, you know, bites of the apple or swings of the bat or whatever expression you want to use in this particular draft, especially in the first 35 picks or so, if I could. Uh, but I don't know, just to your overall question, Ryan, like, I, I hope that that's 
that's the plan and that they're like kicking the tires on every conceivable possible move that ships anybody out of here. Like there's no point of having DeLon Wright anymore. There's no point in having Monte Morris anymore. Even if they net you a second round pick, you know, it, it's been real. Like we enjoyed your time. Now enjoy wherever you go next. I mean, like if you want to say Gafford and Kispert and Avdia, like, okay, those guys are young enough that they could be, you keep them here long enough and you try to see if they make sense on your next timetable. Like I, I got no problem with that, but the older guys are like totally irrelevant from here on out. Like if you want to keep um, Anthony Gill and Taj Gibson past this year <laughs> as your vets on the roster, I don't actually care anymore. It makes more sense to me with this group to have a couple adults on the bench, but yeah, like everyone that's over 26 years old, like it's been real, um, get out of here, whatever we can get back. I do think you are somewhat limited probably this year in terms of the bad salary you can take back unless you can flip um, Chris Paul for something right now. So maybe you get some marginal other asset for taking him back. You get Eric Gordon and some some change and a second round pick. Maybe that's enough for you. Uh, but you know, probably next year is when they do like the biggest damage, I think, in terms of taking on all like the really bad money and getting all the picks back. And again, it's just it's just one year too late. And that's sort of the killer for me. And um, but hopefully they'll do the best they can. And like you guys said, give them some credit. Uh, these are some smart dudes from good places and, and they're from organizations that have found talent, uh, you know, in a lot of places. I think you could argue that like Aaron Wiggins out of Maryland, that was a, a guy that Will Dawkins uh, presumably found for OKC has as much like potential talent as any of the guys Tommy took around the lottery. So um, I, I trust them to find some dudes. And I think that'll make me a lot feel, you know, feel a lot better on Thursday. Yeah. I mentioned this on the last pod. We basically could have just turned the television off in this, when the second round hit with Tommy yeah. Shepard, I'm ex- actually excited about the second round this season and, and beyond there's a potential at least to get some role players in here. I don't think we should expect stars in the second round or anything like, like that, but can we at least get somebody who can play? Like, I we haven't had that, so I'm excited. Yeah. I think my favorite aspect of the whole Beal trade is just the fact that the new front office picked a lane and that it's been clear that we're rebuilding um, since that point. I think coming in, Winger was very vague about what they were going to do, but we actually can just see what the plans are going to be and what in from the reporting – it's going to be to take back the bad salaries with pick, with picks attached or a pick or a asset of some sort attached. And I think that that makes me excited for things like the draft. I, I, the past few years, I've been just more anxious in a bad way, like nervous for the draft that they, I didn't want them to screw it up. And or I knew they would, they would pick the player. I didn't want them to pick Matt, I don't know if you remember, but on my old podcast, we did the mock draft and, I think it was the I forget what year it is, but it was the Denny Avdia draft. Denny year, yeah. And you had the pick for the Wizards, and Denny was just like the best guy left on the board in terms of how, how the board fell. And I remember I said, Man, this is not the like this. I would be disappointed with this pick. And I knew at that moment that that was going to be the guy that we were going to end up with. And it's not to bash Denny. He's actually kind of grown on me since he's been on the team. But it's just, it always feels like whatever you don't want them to do is what's going to happen. Or, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to pass up picking Bull Bull and pick. Uh, you know, Schofield, which, you know, isn't the biggest deal at the end of the day now. But at the time, it just felt like, of course, you're not going to take the swing. And to your Todd point, like, at least they took a swing with that. Uh, you can you can tip your cap and say, hey, like, it doesn't always work out, but you can understand the thinking. But usually, I just don't even understand the thinking. So at least with Winger and Dawkins, I'm looking forward to seeing in real time um, kind of 
the player archetype they, they're looking to, to go after and things of that nature. Um, I, I'm assuming that we're going to somehow acquire another pick or two this draft. I think to your point, Matt, that that's, they're probably going to want as many bites at the apple as, as they can get, whether it's a, you know, Kuzma sign and trade or trading Porzingis or to your point, trading DeLon Wright or Monte Morris and just getting another second rounder or something. I would imagine that for a contending team, DeLon Wright would be a guy I would be looking at adding because I mean, how many contending teams would he be helpful on just in terms of his own ball defense and his high IQ on that end of the floor? I feel like he'd be a perfect addition to pretty much any contending team. Um, so he's a player I could see having some good value around the league too. But I think just them picking a lane makes me excited for, you know, where where things are going. And I think we've seen with trades, I know uh, it's been referenced like the the Joe Johnson trade from the Hawks where the Hawks kind of just salary dumped and they did get a first round mm-hmm. pick back at least. Uh, but, you know, I know people don't want, you know, don't want Ben Simmons in DC at that, at this point, but that's the type of player I could see being salary dumped here at some point, And then us getting, you know, some of Brooklyn's picks or something like that as they try to, you know, bring in a player like maybe Dame down the road or some other star to pair with Michael Bridges and the rest of what they got going on. So I think that there are going to be opportunities to be, um, advantageous for the front office i'm excited to see uh you know where where they go from here are there any is there a prospect that you guys would like to see we don't have to jump into deep dive analysis but is there a prospect at eight that you guys think is a realistic hey like this guy i I like what i've seen matt i know you uh analyze the draft pretty closely is there anyone that you would look at and be like hey if we could get that guy i'd be excited again maybe i'm the hopeful uh, me again for a minute here, but I really don't see anybody that's in their sort of consensus range that they would take that would like piss me off. Essentially, there had been at least a couple guys in each of these last few drafts where it's like, oh, please don't take that guy. Please don't take him. And at least one of those occasions they did. But uh, in this one, I, like, I'm kind of cool. I mean, I think there's a couple names like the Anthony Black name is is one that I guess is a little divisive with some fans, like the people that are out on him are like all the way out on him, but he's a thundery kind of guy. And uh, apparently they had him in for a secret workout. And I've heard since then that there's at least some fans of his in the building. Uh, I don't know at what level. So it could be lower level scouts like him. I I don't, I don't have any more context than that. Uh, don't be shocked if they take a guy that doesn't come over immediately with that last pick uh, if they end up keeping it. So just throwing that out there for for folks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be cool. I just there's a lot of good dudes in this range, and honestly, whatever they go with, I'm, I'm gonna try to be on board with it. Yeah, I'm not gonna defer much from Wizards Twitter there. I definitely would be happy with Anthony Black. I know there's a picture circulating with him. I believe in a Karan Butler jersey. I'm not mistaken and he's come out and said that Gilbert Arenas was his favorite player growing up so I definitely think he gets the uh at least a little bit of bonus there just for liking the Wizards if, if you're going to be uh, one of us oh man good good on you man um so I, I would not be upset with an Anthony Black selection um but I just want I would love a dynamic guard to to start this rebuild with so some someone along the lines of that w- whether it be a Thompson twin that falls to us or um anthony black definitely want a dynamic guard that um i I just feel like it's it's easier to start a rebuild with a guard for for whatever reason i don't know if that's fair or not um but that's just how i'm viewing it i'd I'd love to start it with with one of those guys 
a modern player. How about that? Before you go, sorry, Ryan. Just <laughs> one more throwing throw. Like a guy that that fits where the league is trying to go. Positional size has multiple skills. Some athleticism would be nice. Things like that. How tall is Anthony Black? Six seven. Well, like six five and three quarters without shoes. So six seven playing height. I think that's what makes me would make me potentially excited about Anthony back Anthony Black pick is that having size at that position would just yeah. be amazing and i'm assuming that his frame is also like he has a good wingspan and all that stuff i don't know all the particulars but from the film i've seen his the ability to process and read the floor seems to be really impressive he kind of reminds me of josh giddy in a sense i'm not saying it's a one-for-one comparison but giddy is honestly one of my favorite favorite young players in the league like i find watching him because he's not the most athletic he's not the quickest but he plays at his own pace and i like guys like that so I think that black would be exciting in that sense. And I, I feel like this would be the year to take somebody that kind of needs an overhaul in terms of shooting mechanics or or something of that nature, like some some type of tweaking to his mechanics, because the team isn't trying to be good. I think that if we still had Beal and we had Porzingis and Kuzma running it back, there'd be some pressure on whatever player we pick to be to be really good right away. And I think that if you're going to draft a player that kind of needs those tweaks, well, you're not going to be good for the foreseeable future. So you have time to kind of deal with that player's sports and, and work out some of the kinks. So I do like Black from what I've seen. Um, obviously, Azur Thompson is is probably another one in the range that would excite me. But I need to do a little bit more of my uh, my deep dive on, on the draft before I give out any more players I would actually really like so I can be more educated on, on that topic. But I, it does seem like a draft where you can't, you can't go too wrong. I know that some I saw people on Twitter didn't like the lively kid potentially coming at eight. I know he's been a, a, a like a, a got, kind of getting late buzz as a potential top 10 pick. Uh, I don't like taking centers at high. I don't know his specific game to be something that he kind of reminded me of Willie Cauley Stein from what I saw in film. And I wouldn't take Willie Cauley Stein in the top 10. I'm sure he's better, probably a better prospect than Willie Cauley Stein was, but the fact that that was what first came to my mind makes me feel like, oh, man, please don't draft this guy top 10. Yeah. But, um, you know, with that said, it'll probably be the next Joel Embiid or something. But uh, but uh, that, that'll probably be the one pick I'd be a little disappointed with because I just don't like taking centers in the top 10. Yeah, no arguments there. Um, all right, guys. Well, do you have any parting shots? Uh, we've, we we kind of went long a little bit here on the uh, Bradley Beal reaction pod. But is there anything else you guys want to touch on? I just would say let's let's wait for the offseason to, to fully play out before we dig Michael Winger and Will Dawkins graves. Um, maybe they got something more up their sleeves in order to, to get more picks. Maybe they make a trade that we don't foresee. Um, obviously, it's not a great start to the tenure, but I'm definitely not burying them here. I think they have great potential, at least in the draft, much, much better potential than Tommy Shepard did. So. Uh, I'm going to let them do what they do before I completely crap on them and, and, and dump them out the door, you know, year one. So uh, fingers crossed that I'm right in my assessment that they're, they're better in the draft, that they uh, are the right guys for the job. I'm, you know, I was happy when they were hired and I'm not going to be too upset a week or two in, I'm going to, I'm going to let this thing play out. Yeah, I think all that happened is my unrealistic expectations for them have just become more like realistic expectations for them. And and that's still good. And I still have a better feel about them than I did the previous guy. So it's still a, a net positive for me. Before we get out of here, guys, Matt, I know you were doing uh, a draft night 
YouTube stream. Will you tell the people a little bit about that and where they can find you and that potentially? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, so on draft night, the ESPN coverage starts around eight. So we're going to do the same thing. Uh, be myself, Damo from the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast, Kevin Broom from the So Wizards podcast, just folks that that spend a lot of time on draft stuff. And I don't know, every year I get pissed off watching the guys on ESPN that only cover the NBA talk about how this guy is the next Kawhi Leonard because he's six foot seven and have big hands. So you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're smarter than the people at ESPN, but I, I do think we watch the Wizards more than they do. So uh, hopefully we can give some folks a better idea of uh, just, you know, how guys would fit in with the Wizards or not fit in with the Wizards current personnel, you know, potential future, what it says about, you know, the direction they want to go, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be available uh, on Twitter at the Believe in Wizards Twitter and also on YouTube at Believe in Wizards as well. And again, there'll be a comment section and all that stuff. So if you want to ask about a particular prospect in real time or Hey, it's the seventh pick. There are three guys on the board. You know, if you, if you want us to break down who we would like and why, we'll do all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate the opportunity to plug that. Hopefully it'll be fun. And I hope you guys will, will, will check in with us too. And, um, you know, we can hopefully come out of draft night with uh, with somebody to be excited about. Yeah, uh, you, Damo, and, and Broomer, uh, when I saw that announcement, I was really excited because it's definitely three different complete perspectives. Damo's really plugged in to the draft and it'll always gives a good perspective. Um, obviously you do as well. And Broom is very like analytical and kind of has his own process for things. Um, so I think that's going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, guys, I'll wrap this up. This is the Wizards group chat pod. Matt, Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, I appreciate having me.